so welcome back. Um, hopefully you're still here and Nick's guided tour through the history of, well, I don't even know how to describe them, farts, riffs, squelches, um, insultative, offensive lyrics and, and, and content, um, childish behavior, and some really good stuff. Um, if you're still with us, um, you'll remember that there's myself, Ewan, hello. There's Nick. Hello. We've got Aaron. Hello. Uh, who will have a slight pause when he starts speaking because he's having to press the space bar to talk. And we've also got Brandon. What's up, guys? Hey, man. So um, let's get cracking on this. Um, we started off with, with the EP, um, the early stuff. Um, I'm interested, I mean, Brendan, you have a slight history with the butthole surfers. You're more aware of them than, say, Aaron was. Um, I'm interested to go to you first, Brendan. Um, Re-listening to stuff, um, was it that sort of, um, you said it was sort of like a, uh, what, how do you describe it, like a holy grail of, of, of something you needed to get your hands on uh, back in the day. It, does it still? Well, yeah, because of the, you know, a name like that is going to, you know, ruffle a lot of feathers and stuff and you know the is that the one that had the the the, the shaw dancing on lee harvey's grave yeah, you know like mm -hmm. exactly so i mean like this was designed for obviously maximum impact for reaction i think um i think when it was when i was like revisiting all this stuff uh, I, I, there's like basically like two butthole surfer songs right they have like two tricks they have the sort of quasi, you know, uh, like punk rockabilly song. And then they've got the thing that's sort of like grooves and drones. And, you know, Gibby is like out of his fucking mind song. And I, I, I think that those ones tend to be a little more interesting to me. I'm not, not that I, 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 I think the thing that was interesting, like looking back at this, is like they're really good musicians. You know, you, you sort of ignore that when you go into listening to the Butthole Surfers because there's so much, you know, story that comes, you know, preceding them. The name, the shows were supposedly chaotic. Um, they did a lot of drugs, you know, and it's it, incredibly obvious. Almost every story about them is like laugh out loud funny. And so like all of this stuff obscures the fact that they could actually play the shit out of their instruments, which I don't necessarily think a lot of other 80s oh, there, there are some exceptional had. guitar riffs, like going through the last week or so. Um, at times I would, I admit, hit a wall, uh, and then there'd be a track that would sort of bring me back out of it. But yeah, the one thing I noticed throughout, I was like, my God, there's some serious guitar work in here. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say fully stand, would stand up next to, say, a Jay Maskis, but it would be pretty close at times, you know, definitely you could look back and go, yeah, but our service did a lot of really good stuff musically. Um, Aaron, um, you were coming to this, you knew a bit, but you didn't know that much. Um, the EPs, was, were they brand new to you? Actually, the EP was one of the things I had heard before. Okay. Uh, oddly um, enough, because I actually started, there was some other people, I know we're not supposed to discuss the group too much, but some people were going back and listening to some of the old albums and I saw that was going on and I kind of did it a bit and then I got scared away. 
pretty quickly. <laughs> um, just to have a little bit of context, because that, that's going to seem a little bit weird. Before we started recording, uh, as people listening might know, we were originally from a, a Facebook group, which is still going on. And I said, hey, guys, let's try not to discuss the group so much. Uh, so now we've got our comment going, well, I'm not supposed to discuss the group. And now I'm actually explaining what that comment means. So... Yeah, which, which, is, um, which is even more out of context than talking about the group without leave, context. I should just leave the no context. Uh, I think there's a Daniel Kitchen joke. Um, context is everything, as my dad always says. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the silence. The silence and the puzzled looks. Um, so before we move on to Rembrandt Pussy Horse, uh, I'm struggling with names at times. It's been a very long day. Um, anything else about the EP? I don't want to brush over it. Um, Aaron, you look like you're to say something yeah i just think they just come out of the gate kicking with this ep um i think it's kind of their their manifesto they kind of lay out exactly what they're going to be doing at least in the first phase of their career you know weird punk lots of grindcore elements you never know what the next song's going to be you know you follow grindcore with some like kind of poppy little psychedelic jam like it's it's a trip yeah yeah no absolutely um nick well, i mean you're the big fan i mean and then, Where in their canon, if you had to have one of those annoying clickbait web pages of uh, butthole surface albums ranked? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of the really early stuff. That's definitely my favorite stuff. I, I like the chaos of it. The, it's just all over the place and it's nonsense and it's fun. They just sound like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I, I say that, but then there are bits where they sound like they're also having a breakdown. But the, I, that's kind of fun too you know it's the most fun you can have having a breakdown let's put it like that <laughs> and I did well, to me actually i think it sounds fearless hmm. and that's the thing that's like crazy about it is that they, they've sort of like it's almost like a religious experience like everyone is following the mad shaman who's hmm. like guiding them through this like chaotic yeah i, I actually think their early live shows were probably terrifying you know, you probably, you just didn't know if you were safe. Yeah. And you probably were. I mean, there was fire on stage, but not like controlled fires. There were no technicians there who knew what they were doing. They were just messing about and doing dangerous things. And see, here we go back to my initial comment. Is that like, you know, there's so much stuff that predates, you know, like precedes the listening of, of Butthole Surfers. You know, none of us have seen the shows, but what are we talking about? We're talking about those shows. Oh man, they had like backwards video projections of sex change operations. And it's like, wow, that would like blow everyone's fucking mind back in the day. I mean, this is like way before the internet when probably crazy contraband to get their hands on and then force a paying audience to see it. But, but to like Aaron's point, it's like that one thing that was really surprising to me is like, how many different genres they were very comfortable at doing. I mean, there's like some very, you know, I, I like sort of twee indie, you know, REM-esque songs in their catalog, which uh, is yeah. like the last thing you'd expect from a band called Butthole Surfers, right? I mean, you'd expect like the insanity. You'd expect the, you know, well, we're going to get to Locust Abortion Technician at some point. And I think, I think there's definitely a thing... Uh, particularly so with the early stuff and talking about how the live shows and the chaos and all of that is while so the Pixies were singing about the movie uh, what Chien Andalou uh -huh. 
um, butthole surfers seem to be reenacting the movie mm-hmm. on Shandalu, slicing up eyeballs, etc., etc., etc. Okay, so moving on from the the, the kicking the door in uh, genre smashing EP where they set out their store, um, Nick. The first album, who was it with again? Had they signed? Who did they sign up with? Um, I think it was Touch and Go. Um, they were initially, sorry, the first EP was on Alternative Tentacles, which was the Dead Kennedys label or Delaware label. When you talked about how they were signed and they went to Alternative Tentacles, um, moving on into the first album, um, for me, Mexican Caravan is. It, it's holiday in Cambodia. When I was listening to it, I was just like, "Okay, I can hear that." I never is, about that. It's the opening. It starts the same. The bass, the drums, and then obviously the vocals go slightly different. But I was genuine. I genuinely looked at my phone and went, "Oh, am I on shuffle?" Oh no, no. This is build the butthole surface. No one else get that. Yeah. No, I, I mean I, I don't recall ever noticing it ever before. But I know. Oh yeah, I mean the the Dead Kennedys influence is very big on mm-hmm. this. You know, on a lot of the early stuff, you could totally see why Jello would have taken a yeah, chance and, with these guys. And I think I mentioned, I mean, the Dead Kennedys is totally how I found them. You know, that's it was because I was a fan of the Dead Kennedys and I would scour the, the like inserts from their records to find new things to buy. And, uh, and there was but a I, but I think also with that, therein can sometimes like lay the problem. Um, one thing I got from listening to this immersion in its entirety um and as i said when we when we first started this i didn't really know them uh i i knew bits of them i should have known them they were they would have fell within my my remit at the time i like bands influenced by them i can totally see why they would be someone's favorite band and if i had got into them when i was maybe 15 even maybe up to 25 i would probably feel the same way about the more obscure harder uh, less accessible stuff along the way at this moment in my life i can appreciate it but i don't know whether there's that space for me to go back and so some of the more so going to the dead kennedys thing i'm like oh this sounds like dead kennedys i'd rather listen to the dead kennedys <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. Well, just because we said it, it's like, it sounds like the Dead Kennedys. I mean, it's definitely Dead Kennedys adjacent, right? And yeah. it's, oh, it's wait, going no, back to my band. initial no, thesis of like, there's two songs, you know, like there's like the punk rockabilly thing and then... Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, but I would say that Mexican Caravan literally song. starts off with... And I'm like, well, that is just, that's the same track. Um, and obviously, yes, there's way more to them than that. And I probably have to spend a couple more months just listening in and out over a bit more time. But there are certain chunks or slots in my uh, musical um, tastes, I guess, that it's harder to go back and refill um, 20 years later. It's, I could listen to a band that remind me of Dinosaur Jr., but my brain will go, yeah, but the Dinosaur Jr. slot's already been taken. And I find it a lot harder as I get older to fit in bands I didn't, I missed back in the day mm. um, into the slot that existed back in the day. New stuff, brilliant, absolutely. It's easy to do that. Um, but I think for me, there was a lot of the band, the music that was influenced by or similar to things like Dead Kennedys 
um, I found a lot easier to listen to. And then there'd be a sort of, oh, oh, yeah. If I was 17, I thought I'd find this bit really amazing. I'm, I'm turning 46 tomorrow. Uh, it's a lot of childish squelching, you know? I mean, am I listening to it at the wrong period of my life? Aaron, are we listening to it at the wrong period of, of our lives? I, I, I think so, honestly. Um, I don't know, like my experience of listening to this is kind of like, it, it reminded me of going to India. Um, it's, it's just this assault of this, this oral assault of just constant, just crazy bombardment of, of sensory overload. And it's just happening. And, and while you're in it, you're really kind of annoyed and, and there's some pleasant things, but, but ultimately it's kind of annoying and you just want to get out of it. And then the second that you leave, you kind of want to go back in. Like I thought, when I came in here today, I expected to say a bunch of bad things about this band. And then I started going through some of the tracks. I'm like, yeah, that was really cool. That was really cool. Actually, that was great. And next thing you know, I found myself thinking like, these are some really great albums start to finish. Even the annoying stuff that when I was listening to it, I hated it. I, just listening to it just right before this, I was like, this is really cool. So you spent, you spent the year in India stressing, arguing, hating about everything. Uh, and then you went, now you, now you tell it, now you've come home and you're like, oh my God, the street food was amazing. Um, Nick, yeah. how, how, how are you uh, gauging the reactions so far? Yeah. It's good. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can totally understand that if you came to, to them later in your life, probably it wouldn't be as the, quite the same experience. You might uh, have less patience for the more puerile elements to but you know i mean i was a uh, i guess it was in my late teens when i first heard them and yeah for a while they were the band i wanted every other band to be like uh, but i mean not not that i wanted them to be this to sound the same necessarily it was just the, the amount the inventiveness and the, yeah. the insanity of it and yeah and the, and the sense that pretty much anything could happen and, and this is the weird thing that like you, you touched upon in the, in the introduction to this pod about how you were surprised I didn't know more about Bar Surface because I love the band that Gay Bikers and Acid and Gay Bikers and Acid are heavily influenced by, amongst other things, uh, Bar Hall Surfers. And yeah. they are also pure art and they're also childish. And I think they have a bit more of a traditional song structure than maybe Butthole Surfers, but I can appreciate absolutely over the past week, Butthole Surfers are in significantly greater musicians, talented songwriters, uh, more important in the history of music. And you know what? I want to listen to more gay bikers than that's it. Yeah, well, sure lost. Someone <laughs> needs to, I guess. Okay, so um, I waffled a little bit, but and we had some good stuff from uh, Brendan and Aaron. Uh, moving on to... Oh uh, yeah, locust abortion technician. Um, before we go on, um, I mean, this is home to the inf the infamous Satan, 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 right? <laughs> um, that that's a top ten opening track right there. <laughs> like everything about it. That introduction is. First of all, this is like the first Butthole Surfers record I heard. So I mean, I may be a little biased, but that introduction is like a hall of fame top 10. I mean, that's up there with like smells like teen spirit and, you know, rock and roll in terms of like fucking knock down the door opening tracks. It's just so funny. 
and then to t- and to do like the grade Z impersonation of uh, you know Iron Man is just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It's it's mocking it and it's like canonizing it simultaneously. It, it's a religious experience. Um, Aaron, how were you? How were you four minutes into this album after after your uh, preconceptions and the door was kicked in by um, a not as important as Smells Like Teen Spirit? Sorry, Brendan. Uh, introduction. Well, I guess I, I do want to want to say that I do uh, agree with Brendan that 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 intro is hilarious. When I was listening to it, I, I didn't expect it. It's the first time I heard it, and the second they said Satan, 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 I I literally burst out laughing, and I and I did not expect that because it's actually really stupid. It's really juvenile. It's a really cheap joke, but by golly, it worked. And, and weirdly, it is a cheap joke, and it is juvenile, but the the song is pretty nasty, right? Yeah. I mean, lyrically, yeah, I mean, it's of, of thematically, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty hard listen when you start to go, oh, it's, it's literally, abu- it's seriously abusive. And I think that was also one of the problems that as I've become this bleeding heart, liberal lefty, as I've got older, things that I would have used to go, oh, yeah, but you know, it's, it's just lyrics, isn't it? I'm now going, yeah, they really push it sometimes to the degrees I'm slightly uncomfortable with. I mean, Nick, you mentioned something, uh, where was it along, uh, in your curation about, was it this album, the track? Yeah, there, I've, I mean, I've already talked about it, but there's a track on it that is, I think goes a little far. But yeah, but this is it, I mean. One of the tracks. Are always, you talking about the found sound one that they manipulated? Um, no, that, oh, cunts. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another classic. So yeah, just, I really like that let one. Let me just tick um, parental advisory on the podcast episode. Done. Yeah. Are you talking about, uh, what is it, 26 going on 7? Is that it? Yeah, that one. 22 going on 23. That's, that's oh, yeah. Tw- yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, I think we... up with emo bands. Six I think it would be remiss of us not to, to brush over it a little bit. And, you know, like, obviously, I mean, it's a tricky thing. I mean, you you want to look back and go, yeah, no, I can see what they were doing. They were pushing the boundaries. They were doing this. But also at the time, they were taking a lot of drugs. They were drinking a lot. They were they were giving LSD to Daniel Johnston, apparently, for the first time. Um, maybe there was just a thing of, there was no one going, dude, should you be singing that? Oh, that you couldn't get away with it now. But then, Absolutely not. No way. You be able to get away with it. Yeah. No way. So, I think, like, having been in bands before, Sometimes like you go in with the intention and then you go into the studio and then some mistake happens, you know, like, oh, there's a weird sound that comes out of the amp and you're like, wait a minute, we can do something with that. Or, uh, you know, there's an improvisational moment when no one's paying attention and they still capture that in recording. You're like, you know what, that takes better than what anything else we had going into it. I feel like a lot of these Butthole Surfers records, they may have like had ideas going into it, but they sort of went where the spirit told them. Right. And they may have they may very well have had, you know, more lyrics for this. But when it, when push came to shove, they're like, you know what, it doesn't need this because for whatever reason, these sort of happy accidents, it's, it's like a professional happy accident record. Does that make sense? No, totally. It sounds like they broke into a studio and just started messing around with the equipment and just seeing what the heck they could do with all of these weird things they they didn't even know how to use the stuff but they just played around with it to see what happens yeah but but absolutely I remember reading and that they didn't critical. write songs 
That's absolutely critical, Aaron, is that it, they're, they're figuring it out and we're listening to them try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what's sort of lost when they get like producers toward mm-hmm. the end of the, the catalog. Yeah. Because people are like, oh, you know, that's not how you do this at all. Let me, let me mic the drums properly. And you're like, well, the magic's gone. Like the idea that the bottle surfers writing and recording songs in a structured way just seems totally at odds with what they're about, which is probably why I love the early records the most. I'm gonna but I do feel like there's there's one thing also is I do feel like there is there's definitely an element that they're trying to piss people off. Oh god yeah. Like I think I like when I was talking to I sent a message to Nick and and I think it's when you're listening to especially some of those first couple albums it sounds like like this guy you know you're at the bar and and it's just like getting in your face and just like saying a bunch of horrible insults to your face and you're like there and you can smell his like sweaty smell and his pupils are dilated probably because he's on acid and and he's just daring you to punch him in the face like that's like he just wants you to punch him in the face or like call him some terrible name or something like that i've met that guy and i really don't want to think of this band as that guy yeah because that i mean what he just nailed it the guy right in your face on acid you know begging you to punch him that's the band in a nutshell oh no absolutely simultaneously you kind of want to kiss him (laughs) (laughs) okay so um things we have summed up so far butthole surfers are spending a year in India, hating every minute of it, but then realizing that you loved every minute of it the second you leave, and some crazy, fucked up, drugged up guy shouting in your face, daring you to punch him. Um, I think this pretty much sums up my experience so far. Um, Hopefully not necessarily you, the listener. Um, Moving on now to, I mean, all of their album titles are a little bit naff in retrospect, but they hold no up. No way. No way. This one is the worst album title of all time. It's, it's not up a there. chance. Not a chance. Hellway to Steve. I mean, it's, come I don't on. Like Hellway to Steve. But it's you know, it's an awful song anyway. It so. sounds like the lazy. It sounds like they were like, oh, what should we call the next one? And, like, and they've spent four years just picking random offensive words out of different bags and sticking them together. And this time they just went, oh, let's just change some letters. There we go. Who's got the drugs? You know, it just sounds like they were sort of giving up on the album title front. They, they, there was some effort before, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> You have a do you you do you like spoonerisms, Brendan? Is that what this is about? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. The 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 crap spoonerism, the the sort of defecation on like a classic rock, you know. And they'll come back to this trope again later on in the in the canon. So yeah, there's a little bit of puzzle making in it. But you know, I think their record titles are all great. I mean, they basically predicted captchas. You know, when they just sort of like throw like a bunch of words up there and you have to type in something to prove you're not a, you know, a, a robot, you know, and they're just totally random shit that just comes out of nowhere. And like they, they, they invented the CAPTCHA. So for that alone. <laughs> um, I, I have nothing to say about this album. Um, I listened to them all back to back over the, a few days and I can't remember this one at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the first half, I, I, I talked to Nick, I'm like, I'm almost ready to th- say this is the best butthole surfers record. Like the first side A, I thought they were all like tight pop songs. Yeah, they're ridiculous. I saw an X-ray of a girl passing gas. I guess is one of the song names. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's great. 
But yeah, exactly, it's it's the loveliest song ever written about. But it, but yeah, but it's it's just like an accomplished indie rock song. Then the, then we flip it over to side two and yeah, whatever. They went up their own ass. Whatever. What are you gonna do? So. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, this is what late eighties. No, no, we're in. Oh yeah, no, it is actually. It's eighty eight. Sorry, I thought yeah. it was the nineties. By the time this came out, it feels nineties when you're listening to it. Yeah. Well, talking about feeling like nineties, let's just let's just plow on to, through to the next one because we've, we're moving on to Piode, Piode, um, Piode, isn't it? Oh, Piode. Sorry, yeah, pissed off. Um, this is Hurdy Gurdy Man, right? Yeah, this one we Hurdy Gurdy Man. On. This is this was the first track I ever heard. I listen, I was listening to Hurdy Gurdy Man on the way to work the other day, and it came on. And I went, oh, brilliant! I went, ha! Huh. My memory of it is much greater than the experience of listening to it now, apart from the guitars, which are still and a, awesome. And a 12 inch of Hurdy Gurdy Man with about like 20 remixes. And the weird vocal effects that he's adding to it, like simulating a Hurdy Gurdy with his voice or whatever the heck he's doing with that. Like, it's great. Yeah. Anybody got anything Better than about- Donovan. Anybody got anything about P.O.'d? There you go, what else do you need to Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're Ignoring the uh, elephant in the room of of the song that just chants Gary Shandling's name, yeah, for like yes. minutes. <laughs> I mean, that is like the only reason to listen to that record, as far as I'm concerned. I think the rest of it's kind of by the I numbers. I had to look up to see if I Gary Shandling like was popular. Man, very much to be honest, mm-hmm. it seemed a little safe. Yeah. Um, all right, so. Um, Opinions seem to be a lot stronger about the earlier stuff, but then the earlier stuff is probably designed to get more opinions. We're moving now into sort of uh, two albums, Independent Worm Saloon and Electric Larryland. Um, Electric Larryland, uh, I'm going to jump slightly ahead and go, that's an album I had never listened to before, and that is my favourite Butthole Surfers album, really? full stop, no. by quite a distance. Wow, okay. Um, but again, I think that's, that's the age of me now um tracks like um aha that is husker do that's a bob mold song like from start to finish and i love bob mold i love husker do that's right the whole surfers album because they don't remind you of the bottle surfers (laughs) (laughs) but then you've got then you've got pepper which is let's be honest pepper is probably i mean mid 90s was a bit American alternative rock sort of went to sleep for a couple of years between say 95 and sort of 97. Um, and this was the one I remember noticing coming out of the, of, of the U S at the time. Um, I think it was also cause it reminded me of bits of uh, nice nails, Nitzra, but also weirdly in retrospect eels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I loved Electric Larryland. I can see why um, Butthole Surface fans would hate me for it. No, I don't. Um, but yeah, I'm like, no, this was this was a good album, start to finish. Good, solid indie album, indie rock. They sort of thrashed about a bit, but they didn't break anything. And everything they did break, they paid for, cleaned up after themselves. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listen, because I, I would, I, I'm surprised by that just because I thought it was kind of an album that pleased nobody because it didn't, you know, wasn't going to please the Butthole Surfers fans because, you know, they toned everything down so much. And to everyone else, it was just, I don't know, it wasn't, it was neither here nor there. It was, I think it might have been the fact that because, and we've all been probably gone through this over the last week or so, listening to them back to back, 
there were times that it probably got a bit much um, and certain things became inaccessible and I should have gone and listened to it again, but then I went straight on to the next album. And then I got to this album that was so familiar to me, despite never really hearing it before, apart from the one track, uh, that I went, yeah, this is a nice little break. I'm going to stop and have a sandwich here. This is lovely before plowing on and seeing what, what, whatever, everything came later. Um, Brandon, how are you with, um, uh, well, I, I skipped forward an album, but how are you with the mid-90s buttholes? But you the independent worm saloon and what is it, after the astronaut and electric Larry land. So I was, here's my take. It's sort of like, it's kind of like Van Hagar, right? You know, it's like, it, it's a totally different band, even though more or less like everyone, all the, all the major players are still in it. It, it just feels like a completely different band. And I feel like with both of those, acts if they had changed their name to something else you know we would probably look at the material a little bit differently i think we might actually look at it a little bit better because like when you li listen to like 5150 or foreign lawful carnal knowledge you can't help but look at it as like well it's not david lee roth and i feel like when you listen to the sort of major label butthole surfers it seems like you know it's passable it's entertaining. It definitely feels like, uh, you know, we, we, we have the more amplified punk rockabilly on Independent Worm Saloon and then a lot more like Beck, maybe Brand Van 3000 sort of thing going on Electric Larry Land. And I'm not going to talk about the last record because it's a pile of shit. And, but, uh, <laughs> but, I just feel like if they hit, you know, Gibby was like, fuck it, man, we're going to change the name to Microwave and be like, everyone would be like, hey, man, remember Microwave from like the 90s? They were pretty cool. You know, they weren't as good as the Butthole Surfers, but that was like, you know, I'm glad he did that other band, right? I think that's probably, because I think like when you talk about the Butthole Surfers, the, my neighbor is going to remember, but, you know, Pepper, but like yeah. the heads are going to go for the the real stuff, right? They're going to go for the touch and go era, you know, all, all 15 of us. But, um, so I, I think that's my take. That's like my broad brush stroke and like the, the, the major label stuff, it's yeah. fine, but it feels a little derivative, but if they had a new name change, I'm sure the label was like, no, so you gotta keep the name. but if they were like nice. anything else, if they named it like Bannister or whatever, <laughs> you know, then it, then this would be like, Oh man, remember Bannister? They were awesome. You know, they weren't as good as like, <laughs> you know, summer camp or something, but they were pretty good. So your, your made up names for them actually sound like what I would expect them to name their band if they did that. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think, I also think that maybe if they'd ended with electric Larry land as a sort of, yeah, that's the middle of the road, big label thing. Let's call it a day. Leave on a relative high. Some people are happy. But it's kind of hard to hang it up when you have a legitimate hit. I mean, like Pepper is a fine song. Yeah, it's a. I remember hearing it all the time. It was on something recently. Um, yeah, like Butler Academy. Yes, that was it. So I knew, I knew, I knew that when it came on, hit like, that big after doing, you know, all this other nonsense for like a decade plus to suddenly get like, wait a minute, we actually are getting royalty checks. I mean, I can understand why they'd want to keep it going. Yeah. Yeah, um, but then they ended up making a record that they 
briefly collaborated with Chris, Chris Rock, Kid Rock, right? What? Didn't Kid Rock? I was reading something that Kid Rock had something to do with, um, what was the song? Uh, Shame of Life? I don't On Weird Revolution? I was reading something that he had, he, oh, okay. that there was some form of help, he helped write part of it. Oh, oh he was at a party and he suggested oh, one line and he told everybody that he'd helped write half of it. But there's definitely, I was, I was, when I was doing some research for this, his name cropped up. Uh, um, anybody listening to this who, who, who knows whether this is true or not true, feel free to get in touch somehow. Yeah, phone phone, phone, phone into our hotline. Yeah, call them 555-5555. Go straight to Aaron's mobile. (laughs) But yeah, I think Kid Rock uh, definitely uh, collaborated on half writing one of them. Although, like I said, maybe it was uh, he met him at a party, he suggested one line, and then he went around telling everybody that, yeah, he, he, he's now part of the butthole surfers. Uh, he's the fifth butthole. Um, Brenda's already said the last one was a pile of shit. Um, Aaron, final one, pile of shit, or a worthy, a worthy uh, bookend? I mean, it's, I think it, it's honestly the weirdest they've sound in their whole career, honestly. It's just, I can't tell if it's a really, really good slash bad tongue-in-cheek joke or if they're sincerely going for pop it just has this like 90s british indie sound that kind of like rock electronic hybrid thing that i just absolutely despise it's like it's about as bad of a fall as 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 shift work by the fall you know that's not that's not that's not that bad it's not that bad um but I miss the two drummers. I missed missed the weirdness. It's just it sounds like U two, nineties U two. That's what I was thinking when listening yeah, to it. Like yeah, this could be on Zerupa. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a sort of. And I'm telling you, if it was a Bannister record or Microwave or something, you'd be like, Stadium Rock. I fucking loved Microwave, man. What happened to Microwave? I'm, I've just googled stuff. By the way, while we were talking, um, Weird Revolution's first single, The Shame of Life, was co-written by Haynes and Robert J. Ritchie, better known as Kid Rock. Okay. So, um, yeah, this is the Kid Rock album. But nobody cared what that also was doing by the time Weird Revolution came out. I mean, it's, I don't know. I didn't notice it was released at the time, I don't think. Yeah. I did. I, I liked the. There was a track called Venus that had these sitars and stuff. I thought that was all right. There, there's one called Jet Fighters, where I thought I was listening to Natalie and Bruglia's Torn for a second, <laughs> and then it actually became a pretty cool song as by the time it finished. I've now got Torn stuck in my head. Yeah, it's 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 an immediate earworm. But I what I've done is I've I've started singing Torn in my head and then I started shouting Satan, 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 Satan over it halfway through. And I think it made it an infinitely better song. And you've lost your soul. Yeah. <laughs> um, so have you, dear listener, lost your soul? Uh, that was a terrible fucking segue. Um, but I'm probably gonna stick with it. Um we probably lost you'll you'll notice we lost a bit of legs talking about some of the later stuff, but I think most of the passion seems to be held for the earlier days. Uh, most Baja Surfers fans, and I guess most bands, most fans of most bands, um, it's the early stuff or when you get into them that seems to matter. And the later, more commercial stuff tends to get derided by the fans. And uh, I think as Nick said, uh, the more commercial stuff didn't seem to attract new people either, mm-hmm. um, rather than, apart from maybe say Pepper. Um, and so it was two butthole 
for the commercial people and too commercial for the butthole people. I'm getting tongue twisted with the word butthole and everyone's staring at me. Um, so you've listened to all the tracks on Spotify. If you haven't, you have just heard four people talking about stuff that you have not been paying attention to. So find us on beat.rehab, uh, where you'll see links to all the Spotify playlists. Um, any final words, Nick? Do you think this went down as well as you would have hoped? Yeah, maybe even slightly better, to be honest. You know, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think it was completely hated, except where it was meant to be. I think that's it. Uh, where it was meant to be hated, as Aaron said, the guy shouting at you at a party or that experience in India uh, that you hated at the time, but now you look back to with with some, com some form of belonging. Um, Brendan, thank you very much for taking the time uh, from Boston. Aaron, I always forget which Scandinavian country you're in. I'm going to say Norway. That's correct. Yes, thank you for, for your time, uh, Norway. Uh, Nick? Uh, I'll see you next time. Oh, next time um, we have a very special double pod coming up. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Uh, enjoy this one. Uh, like us, subscribe to us. If you find the playlist on Spotify, follow it. You know, so we, we know you're listening. And um, oh, uh, see you next time. Cheerio. Cheerio. So that was The Butthole Surfers, one of my favourite bands in my late teens and early twenties, and a curio who still make me happy on occasion. Thank you to Ewan for his tireless work editing these things together and chairing the discussions, and to Aaron T. White and Brendan Emmett Quigley for listening to the albums and sharing their views. If you're in Norway, you can catch Aaron on the stand-up circuit, and Brendan plays for the extraordinary Boston Typewriter Orchestra, whose latest album, Workstation to Workstation, is now available in all the usual places. Thank you also to Jonathan Fisher for the title music. We're hard at work on the next episode, but we're not nearly organised enough for me to want to risk telling you who it'll be. If all goes to plan, it's a huge legacy artist. We like to keep you guessing. Thank you for listening. I'm Nick Hilditch, and the last time I'm in Wichita, I did not give a damn.